This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Saddle Hunters, our brothers over at Tethered, continue to kill the game by releasing innovative products. They just recently put out the Eberhardt Series Saddle. They also put out the Menace Saddle, which is for our, our husky brothers and sisters that are into saddle hunting that does but that said, I'll do just maybe a little bit better job of cupping your quote unquote assets. But the thing that I'm most excited about is their recent release of the tethered one climbing stick. Um, this thing is crazy light, crazy strong and crazy quiet. I'm just going to cut to the chase here and give you some specs. Each stick weighs in at less than one pound. And that includes your Dynalite rope attachment. Uh, a three pack of these will weigh in at 2.7 pounds, which is ridiculously light. It's a 17-inch step-to-step uh, single stick uh, single stick height, and there's an 8.5-inch uh, step footbed, which gives you plenty of room for, for those of us folks with, with, with bigger feet. It's all made with aerospace-grade titanium and aluminum for construction. So if you'd like to learn more about Tethered's innovative products, head over to tetherednation.com and check them out. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee guaranteed to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker, they're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 200. Today I'm joined by Steve Shirk, and we're cranking up part two of the Mountain Buck DIY Report miniseries and covering Steve's strategies for hunting pre-rut and rut in the mountains. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. It's exciting, man. The uh, the deer woods is just starting to turn on. I've been kind of watching a couple spots via via some cell cameras, and uh, it it's looking like things are 
things are just starting to turn on my beginning of my season. If you've been following along was kind of had one really good deer that I was, uh, that I picked up at the very end of the summer, um, tried to make a play on him, bumped him, um, right before the season opened. Whenever I did a scout, never saw him again, which wasn't surprising. I thought maybe I had a week to try to kill him. Uh, so that never, that never materialized. And then really I've just done a lot of scouting. Uh, I've not done a whole lot of hunting just because I haven't had a whole lot of, whole lot of Intel to go off of. A lot of my cameras kind of went cold. Uh, of course, you know, I'd set them up pretty strategically to basically be, be set up on primary scrape areas and edges and stuff like that, where, where once that pre-rut kind of activity started, would be, I would start to pick up some deer. And so you know, it was a little bummed out, but it was kind of expected um, that things probably wouldn't turn on until this past week. And, and they certainly did. The one area that I had high hopes for um, had three shooters hit a, hit a primary scrape area. Um, and this is really, man, where the, at least for me as a, as a working dude um, who has limited time outside of, you know, taking some trips and stuff like that, I'll try to get some morning and evening hunts in. Haven't been able to do quite as much of that this year as I would like just work schedule, um, not, not allowing it been, been pretty busy, but um, the value in these cell cameras really for me is to know when I should go hunt a spot and not burn a day. Um, you know, uh, if I don't think that, that there's going to be a good, a good opportunity. And so, you know, instead of taking days off and stuff like that during the course of the week or trying to get out and hunt early mornings and stuff like that and in, in spots that weren't going to be, that weren't going to be prime, you know, they really kind of help me prioritize my time in the timber. And so really, what I was doing for most of the beginning part of the season was just a lot of scouting because my cameras were telling me that, you know, in places that I thought there would be deer, they're just, they just weren't there yet. And these are all, I would say 90% of like what I'm hunting this year is all, all brand new to me. And so I'm just, it's a steep learning curve. So I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out and hunt it at the same, at the same time. And so since the cameras were kind of dead and I wasn't seeing movement, I was, you know, putting boots on the ground, scouting, and, and burning up some miles trying to find where sign might be laid down and then, and then hunt those spots. And that just wasn't materializing either. So I'm learning a lot about these parcels because I've covered a lot of ground. But the good news was it finally flipped on this past week. I had three shooters hit a primary scrape area, one that I was really stoked to see. Um, probably, uh, I'd venture, I guess, probably the biggest deer I've ever had on camera in Pennsylvania. Um He's a hammer. I'm not going to venture. I'm not going to venture a score because I'm, I'm I'm really bad. I'm really bad at that. But um, he's a good deer, and we'll just say it this way: I would I would shoot him if I were in if I were in Iowa or Missouri or Ohio or wherever. He would uh, he would get an arrow from me if I if I ran into him, no matter no matter where that or what that state was. So yesterday I I, uh, I slid in. Uh, it's some water access stuff, you know. But what I'm kind of uh, figuring out or not figuring out, I kind of I kind of knew this is just the schedule's kind of. Uh, the schedule's kind of tying my hands to, to a degree. Um, you know, lots of duck hunters around this, around this, you know, water, just in general in this area, duck, you know, waterfowl hunting is pretty, pretty popular. And so anytime there's, you know, water somewhere, if you're going to use it to access and, you know, waterfowl season is in, you're going to have waterfowl hunters. And I certainly did yesterday at the beginning of the morning. I mean, it was just like gunfire for 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes at first light. Um, and I didn't realize that, uh, waterfowl had come in or I probably would have skipped the morning hunt. Um, or maybe not because in hindsight, it was probably better to get in there while all the other disturbance was going on instead of sliding in later. And then they kind of moved out and I didn't see anything during the course of the day until probably about five o'clock. I had a, um, there's a bedding area, a cedar thicket that you can't really hunt cause it's so, it's so gnarly and tight in there. I scouted it. Most of the buck sign I had seen 
was in there, but all the scrapes were just on the edge of that of that bedding. I assumed that that's where the where bucks would be bedding. And there's a slough that kind of separates the two. And uh, and there's you know there's a hand there's a primary scrape area that I found, and then there's a couple other scrapes kind of like scattered around that I'd found in the winter. And that primary one was where I set the camera because I was like, you know what, in this general area, it seems like all the all the trails and all the sign is kind of converging to this spot. So this would probably be a good spot to pick up inventory. And, um, and that's kind of what was happening. So my assumption was, you know, if I got in there, I was hoping that that shooter that I had, um, or one of the three shooters I had this past week, but the most recent one, which was just two days ago, he came from that bedding area. Like I thought that they would. Um, and my hope was we had a bunch of rain on Friday, um, all day Friday into, you know, early Saturday morning. And then it, and it stopped. So my thinking was, you know, if he just hit that recently, you know, it just rained. So hoping that they would have to slip through and, um, you know, or he would slip through and, and, and want to tend those scrapes again, just to, just to freshen them up. And he was coming through with plenty of daylight, um, you know, with opportunity to kill, probably have a close to a half hour of daylight. So that was kind of my hope for yesterday, but what ended up happening was the smaller deer ended up slipping through uh, a young buck, um, hit that scrape. It was cool. I got to watch him for probably a good solid 10 minutes or so working, licking branches, hitting the scrape and, and doing deer things. Um, so all in all, you know, the, the, the deer I was trying to kill or hoping to kill, um, didn't come through, but got a really cool experience nonetheless. And so now for me, man, it's, I have a limited opportunity here in Pennsylvania yet because, you know, like I said, work schedule is pretty, pretty brutal right now. Um, and kind of relegated to weekends at the moment, which stinks because I usually like to try to hunt the week, uh, just because there's fewer people out. Um, but I don't know that that's going to necessarily happen. So I probably have maybe, Let's see one. I probably have maybe two, maybe three hunts left here in Pennsylvania tops, three tops, um, to try to get something done before I leave for my, for my out of state trips. And then I might catch a little bit of, I might catch a little bit of late rut when I get, uh, when I get back, just depends on how things kind of, kind of shake out. So that's the plans for me for the, uh, for the next week or two here before I get ready to take my trip. Um, and hopefully, hopefully fill a, fill a Pennsylvania tag, but, uh, Right now, it's looking it's looking a little bleak, so fingers crossed. But with that, have a cool show for you guys today. Um, second part uh, with Steve Shirk, talking Big Woods Bucks, uh, how to get after him. Steve, if, if you don't know who he is, if you didn't listen to part one, go back and listen to part one. We talked about early season. Today, we're going to talk about pre-rut and rut, which is the perfect timing. Uh, Steve hunts the Big Woods setting in the, in the Allegheny Mountain, uh, Mountains in Pennsylvania, known for getting on hammer deer. He guides on public in, in that area and just gets on absolute giants. I mean, you know, you hear, you'll hear tales told of PA not having big deer. Um, and this guy has the, the wall to, to prove people wrong and trail camera data to prove people wrong as well. And so in this part, number two, what we're really kind of talking about is how Steve goes about hunting pre-rut and rut which is really kind of it's the magic time in the woods and the deer woods in general. But for him, really, that's the time that he's really able has historically really been able to kind of get things done, not just for himself, but for before his clients as well. So with that, I hope you guys enjoy the show. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truths on the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today you are listening to part number two of the Big Woods and Mountain Buck series with none other than Mr. Steve Shirk. He's obliged me to come back on. He's not tired of me quite yet, so he came on for a second round. How you doing, Steve? Good. How are you? I'm good, man. So the first session, what we talked about is uh, early season. Um, you know, talked all about, you know, how to 
hunt these bucks during you know uh, the the early part of the year, particularly in October. And I think you and I even talked off the off the podcast about you know that really for us is that mid October ish, maybe up to like around the twentieth, whenever you know scrapes really yep. start to kind of to kind of heat up, you know. And you know the one thing I wanted to start off with whenever it comes to pre rut and rucks, I know a lot of guys, you know, girls, whomever when they're hunting, you know, pre-rut and rut, they'll start to kind of focus on terrain features and, and, and stuff like that, trying to find pinches where they're going to catch, catch movement essentially. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you mentioned specifically, you know, well, let me put it this way. Like I started seeing more and more success, even during the rut or having better and better encounters, even during the rut, whenever I was focusing still on hunting, hunting that bedding area versus hunting, you know, terrain features. And so, you know, you touched on an early season, you'd mentioned bed shifting, you know, and we, what we had talked about is it sometimes leaves come down in different areas and stuff like that. So, you know, I think, and you had even mentioned in that session that, you know, that bed shift is probably more relevant to that pre-rut and rut timeframe when things really start to shift in the woods, not just biologically for deer, but also, um, you know, from a, from a timber standpoint, how it starts to change during that time. So if you wouldn't mind, like talk to me a little bit about that shift that happens and and what it looks like. Sure. And there's, yeah, I mean, there's a couple things that can cause the shift. I think the number one thing that causes the shift, though, is just because we're getting closer to the rut or the rut's just about starting. So uh, your bucks are, they're kind of going around, you know, basically scouting does. They, uh, they'll leave a bedding area and sometimes set up maybe 100 yards less or a little more to where does are bedding or feeding just because they're, you know, now they're starting to monitor does. They know that the does aren't ready, but they want to be there as soon as they are. So I think the, you know, does are a big influence on a mid to late October shift. Um, you know, a lot of times also uh, it can be just, just like we said, it could be just as just for the fact that uh, maybe we've had a lot of rain and some cold weather and now all the leaves are dropping and, uh, the buck where he might've been bedding for the most part, uh, could have been more thickness and cover due to leaves than, than actual brush and, you know, trees themselves. So, uh, those kind of things are happening as well. Um, you also get a little more hunting pressure in the rut. Uh, a lot of, you know, there could, the buck could have got a lot of pressure even early on. And then obviously we know more people hunt during the rut where, uh, that can easily, you know, get a get a buck to move to a new spot as well so i mean you got several different reasons why you can see some shifting that time of year but over anything at all i've seen i've seen the shift for the most part uh in relation to the rut and does just because you know the bucks just don't randomly wake up one day and say all right i'm just gonna go look for does like they literally they get way ahead of the game and they pattern the does just how we would try to pattern deer. So do you, you know, you, you talked a little bit about in that early season session about your approach to hunting bedding where it's like, you'll kind of set off the bedding and stuff like that. And I'm just curious now, like, you know, this time of year, you know, bucks are, you know, killable, more killable, you know, for a bunch of reasons. One, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're now looking for love. So their, their focus is on something other than just survival per se, you know? Yep. And so do you take advantage of that during this time of year and, and maybe hunt a little closer to beds or are you, or are you still kind of using that? I want to stay off about a hundred to 200 yards, you know, and, 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 and set back versus be aggressive. Um, this is where I kind of have it like down to a, a timeline or timetable. Like, mm-hmm. 
roughly maybe say like October 15th to like 19th, I'll probably be closer to betting still. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm also, you know, I don't talk a lot about buck sign, but that is a little window of time where a buck is still consistent sometimes in his early season, you know, schedule or pattern. Um, so if hot sign then, or, you know, obviously even trail camera pictures, like there's a little window of time close to betting there where you can catch him maybe doing almost the same thing daily. Um, but then like from the October 25th and or October 20th on, um, I'll actually shift more closer to, you know, around doe feeding and betting then. Hmm. Uh, and just for the fact that I've seen, you know, I know, obviously I know that, you know, that's not like prime rut or there might be zero breeding going on then, but that's a time I notice when bucks are still going into those, uh, those doe feeding and bedding areas and just checking things out. And often that's even in the daylight. Mm-hmm. So, and what I like about it the most is like, there's 0% chance to, of pretty much any lockdown at that time of year. Like those last 10, 11 days, of October, sometimes, you know, late October, I'll see bucks locked down a doe then, but, uh, you know, everybody talks about November. It's just, I would rather hunt a buck when I know he's just seeking and looking than watch a buck chase a doe any day. I, I want those bucks moving, covering ground. That's for sure. Right. Now sticking on the topic of, of betting here, you know, I know some of my experiences in, in big woods hunting, hunting some mountain areas and stuff like that, you know, I definitely have found, you know, what I would consider to be, you know, rut specific betting. Right. And what I mean by that is, is that, and it's been not even just outside like doe bedding areas and stuff like that. It's literally been, you know, one I can think of off the top of my head is just like a ridge that is clear that does are running it. You can see scat right along it. And then yep. it's super thick. There's a clear cut on one side and a big drop off on the other side, right? And it's a real kind of narrow uh, ridge top. And there'll yep. be a buck bed every so often down the down set up on the clear cut side of that ridge, kind of back in the cover that I would find that he's just kind of laying there and wait for hot does to kind of he knows they're traveling oh, there, right? And so he's going to sit there and wait to pick one off, so he's not expending yep. energy. And I've also seen it, and this is like a setup that I have for this year that I'm super excited about where there's a scrape, like a community scrape area that's pretty, you know, uh, uh, and it's in cover too, which is, which is a benefit, but it's, it's a well-used scrape area kind of year over year and ended up finding a, a bed that was 60 yards, maybe tops down over Mm -hmm. the other side of the ridge from it. Like literally if you walk 60 yards from that scrape down over that ridge, right where you would kind of get that thermal tunnel, like one third of the way up that ridge, there's a, there's a buck bed right there worn down to the ground. And so, like, do you see things like that as well, where it's like some rut specific bedding where they're kind of waiting to intercept those at those places? Oh, ab- absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think some bucks, like, you know, like I said before, you, a lot of the shift is uh, the shift in buck bedding is based on does. Like those bucks aren't dumb. They know, they know the the does, you know, aren't ready yet, but he wants to be there that first day. One of those does comes in heat and, you know, a lot of times those bucks would hunt does how we would hunt bucks. Just try, they will they will bed in specific places to try to pinpoint a doe and to watch her every step, pretty much. But not like lay right with them either, though, because right. the does really don't put up with a lot that early. Like 
I, I believe if a buck wants to go right in the middle of a bunch of does and lay with them, they're totally going to move. But So he knows that he can't really get too frisky then, but he's just going to back off a little bit where he can monitor them. And uh, as soon as one of them gets anywhere close to ready, that's when he's going to make his move. Right. Yeah, that's interesting because that's one of the things that yep. I've definitely noticed, you know, and has become, I think, probably more important to me in hunting big woods that time of year is just paying more and more attention to that. And it's, and it's interesting because just as we have less and less options or opportunity to find these deer because there's low deer densities in most, a lot of these big woods areas, right. Or they're just not as compact. Right. And so you just yep. don't see them as often. So they're, so the bucks are having the same thing with those where it's like, there's only a handful of spots they're going to find, exactly. them, you know? And so they're going to try to make the most of those spots. And so what I've started noticing is that you'll find like some of this rut specific bedding in these particular areas and are great places to pick deer off. Um, yep. in, in these setups because they're, they're looking for them just like we are, you know, <laughs> which yep. is kind of, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. But, and one thing too, I'll mention, uh, and I know we talked about scrapes a little bit earlier, but oh, it's like, you, it's have, like you read my mind. We're headed into scrapes next because <laughs> I love scrapes. <laughs> but one of, one of my favorite places to put scrapes is a little more of an uncommon spot, but I like to put scrapes, you know, in around like a doe bedding area. And I, I even have been doing it already, and I got cameras there now. Um, I like to get those does working those scrapes because what happens is you get those does working that particular scrape, and then when bucks do finally shift and they find that scrape and they mm -hmm. find that the does are working, working that particular scrape, it's just like a dynamite spot. Like that buck will hit that scrape every time he comes in there because he's going to – that's another way for him to check on those does rather than – just, you know, setting up downwind or in a way where he can observe them with his eyes, he can also read what's going on with those does by hitting that scrape. So scrapes inside of doe bedding, especially, you know, like late October period, dynamite tactic. Yeah, I actually was using, I actually use that too um, to actually monitor, especially if I'm on like an out-of-state yep. hunt. And I've talked about this before on the show when I was in Iowa last year, I actually I missed a big deer and it was over a primary scrape area and yep. it was, I had assumed it was like some doe bedding in that general area. Cause there was a big cut in this draw. And mm -hmm. so after I'd missed him, I actually set up a, 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 a cell camera on the scrape and I wasn't looking for him per se. What I wanted mm -hmm. to see, um, cause this was also kind of a bigger woods piece for, for Iowa. Um, what I wanted to see was that our deer still hitting the scrape. Mainly I wanted to see if does were hitting it. Cause if does were still hitting it, then that would tell me that that scrape was still hot and active, which means that area oh, yeah. is still huntable. Right. Cause yep. I wanted to make sure that it didn't go cold. Cause I didn't want to spend my time on that piece hunting it. If there was, if they were in lockdown, you know what I mean? Sure. So I was using it to monitor that type of stuff, uh, that type of stuff as well. Yeah. That's a great, great point. Yep. You know, so, so now, you know, kind of staying on the topic of scrapes here, I know you like to hunt over scrapes and we talked about in early season, how you'll set one up and like, you'll hunt it specifically one that maybe you've made a mock scrape, you know, like you were talking about outside of maybe this doe bedding area or whatever the case might be. You know, but yep. say there's, say there's a scrape, you know, and just anywhere, whether it's, you know, outside of like a known area that a buck's bedding or doe bedding, whatever the case is, what characteristics yep. does it have to have for you, a natural one for you to, for you to hunt it in the big woods? Like, you know, is it, is it, give me the scenario of like where you need to find it and what has to kind of be around it to make it huntable to where you're saying the likelihood of daytime activity at this scrape is high versus yep. being, being nighttime activity. Yep. It all depends on the time of the year. So now I guess we're talking more about pre-rut. So right. 
I, you're going to, you're going to in the, you know, especially mid October period and even through late, like you're going to see scrapes everywhere. You might see so many scrapes in an area where it would be mind boggling to pick like which one to hunt because there's just so many scrapes, but the majority of those scrapes are made at night, but yet, um, I've talked about this before as well, but I just want to bring it up. I can promise anyone that scrapes are hit just as much in the day in some areas as is at night. Like I know there's documented proof that scrapes are mainly visited at night, but then there is a small percentage of scrapes that may even be hit more in the daylight due to being in the right, right location. Um, so those scrapes are like, if it's, you know, mid October period scrapes close to bedding mid October will get hit more than during the day than at any other time. And so that's, you know, I know it sounds simple, but, you know, like I said before, when a, when a buck uh, in that mid-October period, the scrape is one of the biggest things on his mind because he is so interested in his, what buck competition he has in his area and what he has for does. And one of the best ways for him to, to get that information is to work scrapes. So he might, I've, I've watched bucks literally from my stand before, like work four or five different scrapes coming out of a bedding area, just checking, 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 just, just to see, you know, what other deer and, and also let other deer know that he's there. So in that, you know, you know, October 15th to 20th period, um, high elevation scrapes in cover. Uh, if you know, particularly where the deer is bedding, you know, somewhat close to bedding, uh, those scrapes are ideal locations, you know, to hunt that time of year. But then those scrapes will start to dry up as we go into the rut. I mean, they might get hit a little bit, but then I've found that during the rut, even though I don't think that uh, scrapes are as, as key in the rut as maybe mid to late October, but um, I'll still find scrapes getting pounded, you know, could even be in doe feeding or doe bedding. It's it's mainly all related to does, you know. Once we get into the rut, hmm. that's interesting. Yeah, because I never parsed it out that way before. Like, yep. You know, I, I always just kind of prioritized as long as it was in had uh, substantial side cover and near and near bedding. Like yep. I was, I was good to go. But I never thought of it in terms of the time frames. Like, yep. Scrapes in the last week of October, for example. I'm assuming probably like the last week of October, like the first yeah. week of November, probably right. Like that's that. Yeah, that's a, that's where you're going to be more in like a, a doe concentrated area. Right. Um, that's when that's when I'll find those scrapes closer to buck bedding because remember we talked about a shift too. Yeah. Um, some of those those buck bedding areas that had scrapes around them, those bucks aren't bedded there anymore anyway. So then the scrapes where the does are, like I've I've heard guys say, don't hunt sign during the rut, and maybe you know maybe that works in other places, but. If I was going to hunt around sign at any time, it would be in the rut because right. bucks are throwing sign down, especially when they when there's a hot doe, you and, and other bucks are you know competing for her. You'll find more sign in a spot like that than anywhere. Mm-hmm. So and and you know if it looks like it was made today, chances are you got a hot doe in that area, and she's probably going to be hot you know for two or three days. So hunting that sign at that particular time of year, that scrape, 
uh, that could be another tremendous spot. Well, that because that's not the only buck that's going to be around. If that's if there's exactly. a hot doe in the area, it's like there might be exactly. one who's it might be a one who came through and laid down that sign and it's fresh and maybe you found it, you know, and it's half a day old or something like that. Just say or say it's even a day old. Say it's 24 hours old. You get there. It's like chances yep. are he's not the only one who's going to be cruising that area, you know, no. and coming to play the game, you know. So you may yep. not kill the one who made it, but you could be killing the one who who's the follow up. You know, and some, and you maybe you even know the one that made it, and he he's a really good deer. But anything can happen in the rut. A, a 160 could just show up and find her. You know, the way bucks cruise that time of year, right? And that'd be awful if that if that happened. No. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, uh, but anyway, staying on. You know, you mentioned sign, right? And like, um, you know, some guys don't won't hunt sign. You know, during nope. during during the rut, which is uh, look, man, if it's working for someone, you know, then good for them. But I'm a person like I'm. I have to find sign, and that's kind of what I live and die by is trying to find mm-hmm. hot sign and hunting it. But the one yep. thing I've noticed in, in, in the times that I, the opportunities I've had to scout and hunt some of these big woods, you know, sections, is yep. the sign is much less than I expected. Right. I like I, I've seen hammer sign laid down in some of these like small parcels of uh, out of here around Philadelphia where I live, where they're jammed into wood lots, you know what I mean? Or small wood lots or whatever, or in yep. ag country or whatever, just like big scrapes and big rubs and whatever. And it's like a fork horn that's making it or whatever, you know what I mean? And I've gone to some of these places, you know, I'm thinking of one place in particular that like, I know there are like having deer on camera that are over Boone and Crockett, you know what I mean? In, in multiple. And I'm seeing sign that looks like a fork horn laid it down. Like the biggest rub I found was on like the tree that's as big around as my wrist. You know what I mean? And it's not like it's destroyed or whatever. And it's just, and it blows my mind because it's like, I know there's for sure, you know, four deer in a particular area that are all over 170. And that's the only bit of sign that you're finding and some small scrapes and stuff like that. But just the sign is not consistent with the maturity of animal that I know is in the area. Do you see something similar there? And like, what's, is it just lack of, because of like the low density, is it just lack of competition or what, what is that? What, what, you know, what, why is that? Yeah. I, I see that almost everywhere. Like, um, I don't, I like, I don't really care about sign early season. I mean, I like to see, I always like to see a little, but I don't have to see a lot and I don't have to see real big rubs either. Um, but what I find is, uh, early season, you don't see a lot of sign, especially where a mature buck is, because most of those bucks are isolated where where he's bedded, um, he wants to be alone. He wants to be left alone rather than right now and maybe for another week or two, you know, bucks are still, you know, bachelored up. But you're you're gonna find sign where deer concentrate in an area. And a lot of times, um, it's gonna be you know, more around food than anywhere. Say if you uh if you have, you know, you're hunting big woods and then um, you might have uh, a valley just full of acorns, but then up on the ridges, it's just cover and, you know, just, you know, basic brush or maybe some clear cut. You'll find some sign up there, but then you go down in the valley around where all the deer are feeding at night, there'll be rubs and scrapes everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it'll you'll think that, oh, my God, like this area is loaded when, like I said before, some of those bucks that are feeding in that valley at night, they might, uh, they might be coming from a mile away because they're not all going to be, uh, batched up, you know, especially early, early mid October tight to each other, uh, you know, up, up on those upper ridges, they're going to be spread out because they want to be isolated. So 
you're going to find more sign where deer are concentrated at times, but it doesn't mean that that's just where the deer are living. Mm -hmm. um, just because big woods, there's, there's so much land, there's so much space that deer can spread out better. Right. So uh, you don't, you don't have to focus so much on sign, except like I said, in the rut, I like to see a lot of sign because that's telling me that, you know, especially if, if I know that, you know, it's a doe feeding or bedding scenario, that tells me that the bucks are coming in there to check and look and maybe they're with those does right at that moment. Right. Yeah. And that was one, that was a, you know, a lesson that I learned, you know, at one point was, you know, seeing that sign low. Cause I, I, I hunted this deer, this piece of public out of state. And I found like a bunch of sign low on this Ridge and something just told me to abandon that. And what it told me was that there was a good deer in the area. I just didn't know exactly where. And I ended up hunting leeward side of this Ridge and ended up killing a good deer actually missed a even better one the day before. And this was, this was a couple of years ago. Um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, in, uh, and then kind of figuring out why as I, as I went and part of it's what you said, it's like, if there's food down there and it's congregating them, it's like, of course, there's going to lay down sign down there during the night exactly. because like they're all there. The other thing yep. too, that I ended up learning and figuring out at least in the hunt that I had, what kind of played out was, you know, when your thermals fall at night, they're falling to that Valley floor or whatever the case is. So that's where the deer have the wind advantage, you know? And so sure. it makes yeah. sense for them to use those areas to travel, which then again, yeah. congregates them because if deer want to use the wind, you know, and they want to use, if the, if the wind and the thermal are kind of interacting together the right way and, the, and that's where their thermal hub is, or that's where their thermal tunnel is, that's likely where they're going to want to spend some time, which kind of congregates deer in that area, you know? And yep. so, you know, a lot of times I think some folks get fooled by seeing all that sign low and it's like, you want to hunt it. And it's like it, a lot of that's nighttime. And, um, a lot of times the wind down there also is fick more fickle than it is when you get a little up a little higher. And so, you know, oh, yeah. you know, so you have a little bit better opportunity as you gain elevation, but that's, I'm glad to hear you kind of confirm the stuff that I've been seeing because it drives me yeah. absolutely crazy. <laughs> you <laughs> yep, know, no, like, yeah, like I said, where you find sign, especially in the big woods, like big concentrations of it, it doesn't always mean like, oh my God, there's got to be six mature bucks living in here. There might be six bucks, mature bucks coming through there, right? But yet, it's a much wider um, home range than than what people think. Like, they're they're definitely usually more spread out. Um, it, unfortunately, I wish they weren't. I wish you could just find a valley <laughs> and that's where they all live. I and, know. You like catching fish in a barrel, but exactly <laughs> it's not that case. Yeah, it's it can't be that easy, can it? Um, <laughs> but uh, so this next question, man, like I, I always, I'm always interested to see, especially guys who hunt different areas and stuff like that than than me. Um, you know mm -hmm. what what their answer is to this, but is there a date in your mind that sticks out where things really kind of be you know begin to really kind of get cranking, you know, or or maybe yep. with all the cameras that you run, you know, the amount of time that you spend in the timber because you, you're out almost every day. Is there a particular day during the pre-rut or rut or specific conditions, you know, to where you see a significant jump in daylight movement? I always say, uh, and I, I don't think, I don't think the weather causes the rut. I would never say that. But the first cold front, October 20th or after, like hopefully somewhere between October 20th and 25th. The first cold front you get at that time, especially here in northern PA, do whatever you possibly can to get in a tree that day. Like that would be, I every year I see that happening. Like last year, uh, although we didn't have a huge cold front, 
but uh, it was right around like the 19th or 20th of October. Uh, like October was really warm, and then all of a sudden it started to get, you know, at least down in the like the highs were in the low 50s, but then we were getting those frosty mornings, and then that the woods just started to light up. And it like it's almost like uh, kind of like us, like waiting for hunting season. Like the bucks are just dying for that opportunity, and it's not just you know, them wait until their testosterone levels peak. But the weather, it doesn't doesn't cause the does to go in heat here. But yet the weather is what really causes those bucks to, to start cruising and looking more. I just think because the, the cold weather not only drives them to move more, but they probably can't afford to start, you know, cruising and roaming too early when it's 60, 70, 80 degrees because – they're going to blow through their reserves to really get through the rut. So I've just found like the first cold front, October 20th or a little bit later, right around that time period, just an amazing time to be in the woods here. Yeah. And that makes sense. Cause I mean, you know, it's pretty well documented that the rut quote unquote, right. Or breeding is all relative to the photo photo period in the area that you are in. That's why like the rut will happen within plus or minus like say three days, no matter where you're at. Right. That's kind of like the general rule of, of thumb to a to a degree, I think, is the you know general knowledge. But yep. I think that's a great analogy when you look at like us as hunters and we're like getting geeked up. I mean, how often does like you get that cold snap for like two days in September where the temp drops? You're like, oh, boy, it's coming. Yep. You know what I mean? It's like it's <laughs> the, the, deer, same. The, the deer are the same way because. I know we know that as well, but right. It's like, yep. the, well, their testosterone's cranking. Like as you go through the year, like their testosterone go, you know, continues to rise and rise and rise as you go through September, yep. October, right. It's like, they're moving more and more as you go through the year contrary to popular belief. It's like the lull doesn't really yep. occur. It's just like they're moving more as the day, as the days go. It's just about being close yep. to where they're moving. Um, exactly. you know, so it's, it's all those little things. And I think that that's a, a really good way to kind of, kind of, you know, uh, frame it overall. Yeah, but, uh, and I would, I'll, I'll, if I could throw one more thing on yeah. in there, like I would encourage more hunters to not believe that like November is the only time or the best time, especially because I'm sure you got a lot of Pennsylvania listeners. I truly believe that the best time to hunt Pennsylvania whitetails with a bow, it may different what part, maybe different what part of the state you're from, but I think up here at least the northern part. Like the last ten days of October, usually more October twenty fifth to Halloween, I think those can be the best days to be in a tree at any compared to any other time of the year. And not like everyone's like November first and November seventh. Mm-hmm. Like I would rather be hunting late October. Yeah, I would say that my cameras have told me the same thing. Um Yep. You know what I mean? Where it's like <clears throat> I'll see more consistent daylight movement in that small period of time. Um, yep. you know, now you're not seeing chasing necessarily, you know, but like if oh. you want, if you want to be able to get a deer to crew, come by like a, a scrape that's been opened up or whatever, like I would, I would agree with you. Like most of the good deer that I've had on camera over the years with consistency, I can always kind of look back and say like, it was in that last week where it's like they consistently showed up. You know yep. what I mean? It's almost like an annual pattern. If I had a buck hit a scrape this year here, I can almost set my watch to it that the following year he's going to hit the scrape around the same time. You know, yep. I've, and, I've watched and, it happen a couple times. And like I, I'm glad you brought this up earlier because it was kind of more like a theory. But when we talked about bucks shifting their bedding and maybe not cruising as much, but kind of waiting the does out, 
think of it this way, like, okay, a buck has this core area, and I believe that bucks normally don't go, like, two or three miles and find, like, a group of does. Like, he's probably going to shift to the nearest group of does close to his bedding and core area. So say, like, early November, what can happen is he's basically just in a little small area. He's got his own does patterned. He's just kind of sitting there waiting them out. So then I think it could be better later in November, once he's kind of done enough breeding in his core area, or, you know, maybe he's gotten a little impatient, bred a couple does, and the others aren't ready. Then I think, like, after, like, November 10th, that's when I see much more roaming going on, hmm. where I think bucks get even much further away from their core areas, and they they start really getting that cruising effect rather than, uh, you know, it might not be the peak of breeding, mm-hmm. but I'm all about bucks on the move. I could care less about the breeding part. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like, I, I, I want to be done by then if I can be, but I never, <laughs> but I never am. But, <laughs> you know, so shifting gears here just a little bit, man, like one of the areas that I focus on, you know, so we've talked about hunting early season. We're talking about rut now. I think yep. one of the hardest things for people who have never hunted big woods, if they want to take that on, or just in, in general, some of these bigger yep. chunks of land is like finding some type of structure or something that they're going to use to move, you know? And so one thing that I've done is just, you know, and it's not like a novel idea. I've, you know, kind of learned it from my buddy, Chad, cause this is kind of how he does it a lot too, is just like on these big pieces, it's like, man, I'm following the clear cuts. Like I'm yep. looking at maps, especially if I'm going to an area that I've never been to before. I'm kind of seeking out new ground. Maybe I'm going on a hunt and I'm like, you know what? Everything I know of is cold. I'm just going to go to a new area. Or if you're just yep. scouting and you're finding a new area for next season, it's like, I'm always kind of monitoring where those clear cuts are at, where the new clear cuts are at and using yep. those edges as my, as my structure to give me some semblance of structure, you know, to follow. Yeah. Um, can Got you talk a little bit? Yeah. I was just saying, can you talk to me a little bit about how you use cuts? Yeah. Yep. So I pretty much only hunt the cuts that are on ridges. Like the ones down low, uh, you know, I don't really mess with them. I don't see a lot of bedding or you know, those, those kind of features in them, but those, those upper ridge clear cuts, um, if, if, if it's kind of the right cut, you know, before I talked about, I don't find a lot of bucks like bedding and really hanging a lot in the like, you know, zero to five year range. They, as far as the bedding aspect goes, like I find they, they like to have a little bit of visibility in there. It doesn't, I'm not talking like they want to see 50 or a hundred yards either, but they don't want brush rubbing up against their face. They, right. they don't hide that way. You know, bucks, uh, they use their eyes and their ears just as much as their nose. So the, the right age class, you know, anywhere from eight to 20 years, like if you can find those cuts, um, upper, you know, upper third elevations, uh, uh, especially if there's good like uh, elevation drops, like you might have two or three benches inside of a cut, like those those become you know awesome spots. Uh, you know more more so. I like hunting around cuts more so early season than I do uh, in the rut. Not saying the rut the rut can be really good for cuts too, but the, what I find is it's I find it's a little easier to pattern does. Uh, around food than it is bedding because sometimes doe bedding seems to be a little more sporadic like a buck he may he'll he'll lay use that cut for three or four days but does seem to even though they don't range like bucks their bedding bounces around a little bit more but 
outside of the rut. Like I'm a, I'm a clear cut freak, uh, even in gun season, uh, post rut scenarios when bucks are kind of recovering, uh, clear cuts are just some of my favorite places to hunt. Yeah. It's like, I've grown to kind of love them to be honest. It's like a lot of what I look for, even on smaller, smaller parcels here in the Eastern part of the state, you know, it's like, I'm looking for those cuts and I've actually taken to like actually hunting in the middle of them. You'll sometimes, and I've talked about this before where yep. I've started to really find good sign and actually started finding like specific buck beds. I have one actually that I have a good deer on camera um, mm-hmm. is I follow like the, like if there's like a, a mountain runoff or something like that, and there's like a water ingress through the middle of a clear cut, it's usually nasty thick, but like if you follow it long enough, it usually opens up to where it's like wet enough to where it kills everything off. And it just becomes like yep. this swampy kind of grass area. And I just, I refer to them as mountaintop swamps. And, yeah, I know just what you mean. Yeah, and like I've found all kinds of like buck bedding and buck sign yep. and, and stuff like that inside of those particular clear cuts. And yep. so I've really started kind of prioritizing those this past off season. I mean, I went to anywhere I saw a clear cut and just walked through it. You know, I mean, it was yep. gnarly. It, it, it sucked walking through it, but, <laughs> you know, cause yep. it was, they were thick and nasty and briary. But I found my best sign there, and then I found little ways that they were getting in and out or on an edge they were using to get into, like, a bed or whatever, and that's where I started hanging cameras and stuff like that. And sure yep. enough, man, it's like the one camera, it's like I, I forget how many pictures I had, you know, I forget how long I let it out. So it's not getting completely hammered. There was maybe, like, 350 pictures on it, and yep. there was some – false triggers or whatever um mm-hmm. but let's say i don't know say out of those 350 pictures i had a i had 220 like deer pictures of right. those i would say only mm, 10 to 15 percent were does the rest of them were bucks and that was the same like yeah. it was the same five or six bucks and i would say out of all those buck pictures maybe 10% of those pictures were at night they were all during daylight there you go you're so close to batting right there yeah it was like between 7.30 and, like, 2 o'clock was the movement. Yep. Like, no, I, I totally – you're not telling me something I've never experienced. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I've seen it many times. And uh, one other thing, too, like how I'll locate some of those bedding areas, and this would actually work even, you know, during the season so you're not bumping bucks off beds. I find, like, almost always if a buck's using a cut, he's going to have some serious rubs like on the outside edge of it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I know that's a transition area where, you know, you can commonly find sign, but I, I think it's more of like a signpost mm-hmm. reason. Like bucks will, will post like sign, like rubs that just stick out like a sore thumb. Like they'll have rubs where uh, it just looks like you're shining a light on it mm-hmm. and it can't be missed. And I think those are saying, Hey, just so you know, this is my bedroom. Right. Um, and I think that's just a great way to easy way to locate bedding rather than, yeah. uh, you know, going through and maybe busting them out. Yeah. Uh, if you see that sign on the outside edge of a cut that, that looks like that, you're probably into some buck bedding. Yeah. This particular setup, it's, it's kind of like the best of both worlds. It's something you were talking about earlier. And, you know, so it, that, there's that bed there and that camera there with all that daylight movement. And then a, maybe 150 yards, we'll say to the West there's a community scrape that I found this postseason scouting. So I hung a camera there, mock scrape, and I have a ton of does hitting it. And it's right on the oh, edge wow. of that cut. You know what I mean? And that, that camera is basically all does. The other camera is basically all bucks. And they're separated yep. by about 150 Upgraded. yards. 
Jeez, you're you're starting to make me want to hunt with you by telling me some of these spots. <laughs> well, man, you got an open you got an open invite. You know, we'll, we'll we'll do a swap. I can't promise to put you on the caliber of deer that you can, but <laughs> I'm game for it. But uh, what? Two more questions here, man, before we wrap up the pre rut and rut session. So, give me an excess uh, successful hunt that you've had that comes to mind during the pre rut rut phase. Pre rut rut phase. Yeah. Um, I would say. Uh, this was, I think it was 2016. Um, I was, uh, and I've told this story before and probably some people will say I've heard it, but it's one of my favorite, one of my favorite hunts ever, or, you know, a few days of hunting. I, uh, I checked the camera. It was clear cut scenario on the outside edge of this cut. Um, and then there was about, it was probably about 50 yards from the edge of this nasty clear cut. There was just like a sheer cliff. So this, the funnel situation for, for the rut was tremendous because like when bucks are cruising in the rut, they tend to go like, they, they take the easiest route. Like this clear cut was like almost, you couldn't hardly walk through it. So it would, it would be like a wall. So anyways, I checked this camera and I would say, geez, if I remember right, I think in a week period, there was like 14 bucks. And I want to say, I guess seven of them to be like, anywhere from 120 to 140 inches. Like this was like the best carb pull I ever had in my life. And, uh, so I, I normally I'll do like a three day, uh, you know, I hunt a stand for three days, no matter what. Well, I, I jumped out of any plan that I had and I was like, I'm going to totally hunt this stand for three days. So, um, the first, the first night I, I, I set the stand up like, by noon, it was on a it was on a Friday, and uh, the first night, I mean, great activity. I didn't see any mature deer, um, but then so I got in there Saturday morning. It was probably like October 29th, and uh, got in there and same deal, like great activity. It was just a perfect funnel situation, and there were does in there too, so that was also drawing the bucks through. But then uh, about. I think it was about 9, 9.30 a.m., like one of the biggest deer I've ever seen in the woods. Um, here, he, here he comes coming through. And where I made a mistake was uh, I I was doing some blind running, and I think that's probably what lured him in. But then he hung up, you know, about 100, 150 yards away. And uh, so I grunted at him again. And he, I mean, that totally got him to come. But the problem was is he literally had me pegged. Uh, he knew right where that sound should be. So uh, he got to about 30 yards, and he was facing, looking right at me. Well, then what he ended up doing was he got down. He started circling me to get downwind because he knew where the sound was coming from. And uh, he got downwind to me, and then he started stomping his foot. And right or wrong, like I had a small hole. He was like 27 yards. Um, I shot. And I'm almost positive I hit a limb, and unfortunately, uh, I hit the buck and never found him. So I was, like, extremely disappointed because that was arguably one of the best deer I've ever seen and definitely the best deer I've ever shot at. So, um, you know, obviously never found that deer, um, but ended up, I go back there Monday morning, kind of head down and sat there a couple hours, um, didn't see anything, and then sure enough, uh, this big old huge bodied eight point came by and ended up dressing 215 pounds and, uh, uh, you know, was lucky enough to make a good shot. But I think 
my point is like what I liked about that hunt the most was um, I went from like the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, and it's just like that's how hunting is. Like mm-hmm. it's it's like a roller coaster ride, um, and uh, sometimes you know I can have like the greatest stretch of four or five days of hunting when it was all great, but it's like more rewarding when you when you have success right after a time of when it couldn't have been any worse. So I think that's why that's kind of one of my favorite hunts. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the rut in a, in a nutshell, right? It's like anything can happen at any minute and you could be riding high and you could be riding low. Just kind of depends on, (laughs) depends on the day, man. So what, uh, so what are your three, what's Steve Shirk's three tips for, uh, for, for hunting the pre-rut and the rut? Pre-rut. Okay. So I would, I would say, I would say pre-rut, um, it's like I said before, keep in mind that you got some shifting going on. So you got, you got to know like your windows and your timelines of opportunity. Um, whenever you have shifting, you want to be ahead of it. So I would suggest this part, especially this part of Pennsylvania. Um, I would, I would focus and I put a big deal of focus on scrapes just outside of bedding areas, um, through that roughly mid-October pre-rut period, um, even getting into a little bit late October. So I'd focus a lot on scrapes. And then number two, um, be be aware of, of, of the shift. Like I hear of a lot of people like, it's like there's either people that do good in October and there's just people that do good in November. And I think a lot of what it is is people don't pay attention to these shifts. Mm-hmm. Um they, they're just like, I don't know what happened. I was seeing deer and, uh, the spot was great. The signs here now I'm not seeing anything. Well, expect, expect the shifts to happen and be ready to make a move. So that's, that'd be my number two thing is don't get, don't get so tied up on to what you were seeing in October to, to happen in November. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, number three <laughs> would be in the rut put as much time in, in that yeah. tree as, as much as you can. Like yeah. that's the time of year when, like we even said before, it's, it's like a roller coaster ride, but say you've, you've hunted till four o'clock one day and you didn't see nothing. I promise you that there's never a minute during the day, a good buck can't come by. Like right. you have to always keep your mind open and knowing that in the rut, it can truly happen in seconds at any time. Yep. Like you, you have to put your time in and you just have to convince yourself that, uh, no matter what, even if it is 80 degrees, like I know that does slow down movement, but the rut is the rut. Like yeah. put your time in as much as you can then, because that's, yeah. I mean, maybe not for killing a particular buck, but still the rut is in my opinion, the best time of the year for, for, you know, mature buck activity. Right. So yeah. those would be my three things. Yep, time and tree, man. That's the that's yeah. the key during that that time of year. You can't kill them from the can't kill them from the couch. So, with Absolutely. that, man, this segment is a wrap. If you wouldn't mind, uh, let the folks out there know where they can find out more about Steve Shirk and the things you have going on. Sure. So mainly, uh, I'm on social media more than anything. So uh, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram at Shirk's Guide Service. S H E R K apostrophe S guide service or uh feel free to look me up uh at shirks uh com. um i do want to just throw out there i'm pretty much uh fully booked for this season i'm sure this is going to be uh this will be on the air uh before next season obviously so uh 
but I still appreciate uh, anyone uh, contacting me about next year or just to build a relationship. Uh, uh, I, I'm hoping to to get to know uh, some of the listeners from you know such a great podcast. Awesome. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on, buddy. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast in hell. While you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tether, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.